Uh, it's been a wonderful week together, hearing God speak through His Word, focusing on His Son, our Lord Jesus, rejoicing together in all that He's revealed and done, and in who He is in His love towards us in Christ. I have learnt lots from you guys this week. I've been encouraged by you in all the conversations I've had, and I'm really looking forward to continuing our fellowship together this semester in the EU, at public meetings, and generally around on campus. It'll be great. We have a Friday, a Friday morning, Ancon Friday morning tradition here. Uh, I know many of you are weary. You might have pushed it a little bit hard last night. Please don't waste the opportunity we have now to listen again to God speak through His Word. So, if this is our tradition on Friday morning, if you're feeling a bit tired and losing concentration, I want you, whenever it hits you in the talk, I want you just to get up, move to the side, and stand up and listen for a while as we keep going with the talk. It really does help, and we always have lots of people do it on Friday. Well, some years we've just had, well, not quite more people standing than sitting, but we've had a lot standing around. That's cool, that's fine. Make the most of the opportunity we have together. And look, it's already happening. Good on you, brother. Right. Old hand, wise head, very good. Okay. The great news of the Christian gospel, God speaks. He's spoken through His prophets, His Son, His Scriptures. In particular, as we saw last night, the living God speaks through His gospel, the message of the Scriptures. So does the one true living God speak today? Well, yes, absolutely. That's what we've been talking about all week. He speaks His Word of life and power, grace and truth, warning and judgment, comfort and hope. He speaks it whenever you share the gospel message with somebody. You, you're just talking about Jesus. God is speaking His Word at that moment through you. He speaks His Word whenever you open your Bible and read it. He speaks it whenever you hear the message of the Scriptures proclaimed in church, in the EU, here at Ancon. Every time His Word is read, is spoken, is shared, is proclaimed, the one true living God is speaking. When the Apostle Paul was on one of his missionary journeys, he came to a place called Thessalonica. We know from Acts 17 that Paul was only there three weeks, which isn't that long, to plan a church. He had three weeks to plan a church. Nevertheless, we're told that in those three weeks, some of the Jews believed his message about Jesus. Plus, we're told a large number of God-fearing Greeks and, quote, not a few prominent women. But there was so much Jewish opposition to Paul's preaching of Jesus that he was chased out of town in just after three weeks. So that wasn't very long to get the church started. But we know from the two letters that Paul later wrote back to the church, which are included in our New Testament, we know that the church survived under the power and strength of God. And this is how Paul describes the Thessalonian believers' reception of his preaching. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. If you're feeling a bit weary, always good to turn up the Bible. That helps you focus, right? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Great little verse to underline in your Bible. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. Paul says, We also constantly give thanks to God for this, that when you received the Word of God, 
that you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a human word, but as what it really is, God's word, which is at work in you believers. They heard the gospel that Paul and Silas preached to them, and lots of people who heard that message when Paul and Silas preached, they, reject, they, they, they rejected Paul's message, right? They chased him out of town. But to these people, they heard, the, they heard Paul's words, and they received it and accepted it, not as just a human word, but as what it really is, as God's word. That's what they heard when the gospel was preached. They heard God speaking his words of life and power, comfort and hope to them. So that's what happens when you hear God speak. When you hear his scriptures being read, spoken, proclaimed, you hear the living God speak today. Well, all of that's well and good, I guess, but might God say some new stuff? Might not God have some new things to share with us today? Might He not have some new insights, a more specific word, some new information maybe about the Lord Jesus? Well, the answer is yes and no. So, let me try to be more specific. Does the one true living God speak today through other religions? The answer, if Jesus is true, if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, the answer is no. He does not speak through other religions. It is possible for other religions to share some truth with Christianity. For example, uh, Paul in Athens in Acts 17 can quote approvingly an insight of one of the, of the Athenian pagan poets. He says, like one of your poets, own poets have said, and he can quote something they said and say, yes, that's true. So other religions may share some truth, some insight, they may have some subset of Christian truth, but they will not have any truths that are additional to what the one true God has revealed in the Scriptures. And precisely, actually, because they do seek to add other things that they claim are true, that are not actually true, that are not actually part of the Christian truth centered in Jesus, that means that as a faith, as a whole system of thought, it is a lie. It might have moments where it's sharing some Christian truths, but as a system, as a whole set of beliefs, it's a lie. They cannot give you genuine spiritual life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20, 1 Corinthians 12, 20, Paul talks about non-Christian worship, other religions. And he says, the sacrifices of pagans, right, their religious observance, their religious practice. He says, the, the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to the living God, not to God. And he says, I don't want you to be participants with demons. So other religions are not weaker forms of the truth that you find in Jesus. They're not like Christianity truth sort of light. That's not what other religions are. They're not alternative pathways to the living God. They are actually leading you away from the true God. 
They are the lies of the evil one who wants to keep humanity in slavery to sin and death. He does not want you to know the real life that is found only in Jesus and his gospel. So no, the one true living God is not going to be saying new things, extra things through other religions. What about... What about when Christians claim to get visions, dreams, and prophecy? Might not the one true living God speak to us now directly through visions, words of prophecy given through His people? Well, if you're interested in that question, I hope you went to Jimbo's seminar on Wednesday or Thursday. Um, I think the answer is a definite, possibly. I know lots of people claim that the one true living God has spoken to them and God's spoken to me, given me this particular message. Mind you, just because I claim it doesn't make it true, does it? I could be mistaken in my belief. But when we look in Scripture, we do see that God does sometimes speak to people through a dream or a vision. Another example from Paul's missionary work in the book of Acts, in Acts 16, Luke records a vision or dream Paul had in Troas. So if you've got your Bible there still, maybe flip open Acts 16. Acts 16, 9 to 10. Acts 16, 9 to 10. They're there in Troas and we read in verse 9, Luke says, During the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia, pleading with Paul and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And then Luke says, when he had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the gospel to them. So Paul has this dream or a vision during the night and is convinced that God was directing where they should go next to proclaim the gospel. Or in Acts chapter 11, if you flick back to Acts chapter 11 this time, see another example, Acts chapter 11, verse 27. Here we read of a prophecy made in the church at Antioch. Verse 27, at that time Luke writes, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine over all the world. And this took place, Luke says, during the reign of Claudius. The disciples determined that according to their ability, each would send relief to the believers living in Judea. This they did, sending it to the elders by Barnabas and Saul, also known as Paul. And so you can see this happening in the early church in Acts, where prophets in the Christian community share words of God with the church. So does God speak through prophets there in the church? Well, yes, apparently. The prof now, you need to be careful here, right? Because the prophets in the New Testament community are not the same as the prophets mentioned in the Old Testament. Now, we need to be, get this clear, right? The prophetic writings that we have in the Old Testament are absolutely authoritative. They are the inscripturated words of God. They're not just the musings of a human prophet. Because in the Old Testament, there were false prophets too, right? 
just because you claimed, I have a word from the Lord, does not mean it really is a message of God. But the prophetic writings that God has preserved for us in the Old Testament documents, they are the certain and sure words of God. They are authoritative and true. What's the equivalent to those authoritative Old Testament prophecies in the New Testament? What do you reckon the answer is? Well, it's not the prophets that you meet in the New Testament churches. They're not the equivalent. The equivalent of the authoritative Old Testament prophetic word is the word of the apostles in the New Testament. They are now the chosen authoritative eyewitnesses to the living word, Jesus himself, come amongst us. And so it's their apostolic testimony, which we have recorded for us in the writings of the New Testament, that have that same absolutely authoritative status as the Old Testament prophets. Okay, so you've got that. What then do you make of these prophets you read about in the New Testament, like Agabus? Well, actually, in 1 Corinthians 12, we read about the different ways God has equipped each of us to serve others in the church. And he calls the church the body of Christ. So let's flip to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 27. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. Paul encourages the church and he says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Right, All the different sort of gifts that God gives to his people so they could serve the church and build up the church, all different sorts of gifts. And then he says, verse 29, are all apostles, are, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? The answer to those questions is, is no, right? We each have whatever gifts God has given us to serve others. And then he says, 31, but strive for the greater gifts what are the greater gifts? Well, when you get forward to chapter 14, he'll tell you that the gifts that build other people up are the greater gifts. It's, it's greater because it's not just building yourself up, it's building up other people. He says, strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. That is more excellent than any of these gifts. And what's that in the next chapter? It's love. To love others is more important and more lasting than any of these gifts. And that helps you keep it all in perspective. But notice here, God does give some to be prophets in the Christian church. Not authoritative prophets like in the Old Testament. Because the functional equivalent of those guys is the apostles. But there are those who have gifts of prophecy in the New Testament church and, you know, that shouldn't surprise us because actually it's a fulfillment of God's promise. Way back in Joel chapter 2, when, when um, the Lord was promising the new covenant, he made this particular promise in Joel 2, 28 and 29. He said, And afterwards I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So when God pours out his spirit, as he has done on his New Testament 
people, the, the body of Christ, you and me, it's no surprise that there are those who have the gift of prophecy there to build up the body. That's part of God's, Jesus' new covenant Christian community. But the interesting thing about these New Testament prophets is that what they say is not necessarily authoritative. What these prophets like Agabus in the church say is not necessarily, just because they say it, automatically authoritative. You can see this in uh, chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, where Paul very clearly says in verses 29 and 30, that whatever someone shares in the church as a prophecy needs to be evaluated. It needs to be weighed, like on a, a, scale, a set of scales, right? This is what he says there, 1 Corinthians 14, 29, 30. He says, when you gather together, he says, two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. So they don't just go, oh, okay, yes, a prophet is speaking, quick. No, you actually have to evaluate it, weigh it up. Hmm, does this sound right? And then he actually says, if a revelation comes to someone who's sitting down, that is, they suddenly go, that's not right. I know from the Scriptures, that's just not right. Then the first person should shut up and sit down. The first speaker should stop. So whatever, when, uh, whatever uh, someone shares has to be weighed. What do you weigh it against? you weigh it against the authoritative Word of God, the words of the Old Testament prophets in Scripture and the authoritative apostolic testimony, which is recorded for us in the New Testament. You weigh it against the Bible. Now, if you've heard me uh, speak on this topic of prophecy before, like I think we did 1 Corinthians uh, in public meetings last year, and that's all on the podcast if you want to listen to it. You've, you've heard me tell this story before, probably. Uh, quite a few years ago now, Jenny, my wife and I, we were heading overseas for a year to work as short-term workers in a school for missionary kids uh, to help support gospel work amongst the less reached and less resourced. You go to work in the school, it's a boarding school, you look after their kids, you teach them and you're, sort of their, you're their mum and dad while their parents are on the missionary field in a less reached, less resourced place sharing the gospel and you're looking after their kids, educating them. So it's a way of supporting that less reached, less resourced gospel work. Anyway, we were there for a year, and before we left, we had a special commissioning moment in our home church, just before we flew out. At the end of the time together, uh, an ex-Misho, who was part of our church family, he came up to me at the end, and just quietly, just privately said, Rowan, I just had a real sense while we were praying for you, that this man is going to suffer. So I thought I should tell you. Oh, okay. What do you do with that? Freak out? Pray against it? No, what you do is you weigh it against the Scriptures. You just weigh it up. You don't freak out, you just weigh it up. Like any supposed word of knowledge or any supposed prophecy or whatever it is. What does the Scripture say? What has God told me that I can cling on to in His Word? And, and what does he tell you there? He says, if you're a Christian, expect to suffer. That's what God's Word tells us. God does not promise us as His people freedom from suffering for our faith in this world. In fact, He, he tells you to expect it. He promises freedom from that sort of suffering in the new creation, 
but He does also promise us to strengthen us and hold us secure in Christ as we hold on to Him, no matter what suffering comes our way, right? He, he promises to sustain you no matter what suffering comes. So the news that, that maybe I'm going to suffer, okay, well, I guess that's nothing really new there, right? It's just, I, I guess it's helpful to be reminded, but it's, it's there in the Bible anyway to remind me. The, but the point is, I guess, that God is not going to reveal anything to you, not truly, that contradicts what He's already authoritatively revealed to you in the Scriptures. Galatians chapter 1, another passage. Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Flick this one open. Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Galatians 1, 8 and 9. Paul, who's an apostle, right? He says to these Galatians who've wandered away from the truth. They're wandering away from the truth that Paul preached to them. And listen to what Paul says. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be eternally condemned. I mean... If an angel from heaven rocked up at next year's annual conference and just said, oh, well, it's well and good what you guys are hearing about. I'm an angel. I have a new message for you about Jesus. And you, you're going, right, quick. Take the video, like whatever, like you're doing. Like, what? No, actually, no. If an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel other than the one that we have received in this authoritative apostolic testimony, let that person be eternally condemned. And in case you missed how big a deal that is, he then goes straight on and says it again. As we have already said, so now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. He's basically saying they can go to hell. They can go to hell. That's what he's saying. It doesn't matter if I, Paul, he says, tell you something different. If it's not this revealed gospel about Jesus, if it's telling you some other stuff about Jesus that doesn't fit what, with what's here in the Bible, then it is not true. What the Mormons say about Jesus is not true. What the Jehovah's Witnesses say about Jesus is not true. What Islam says about Jesus is not true. What Judaism says about Jesus is not true. They are lies. They are lies leading to the judgment of God. Remember, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him in the gospel here in the Scriptures. We don't need an extra word from God. What He has given us here is completely sufficient to lead you to Christ and to show you how to live for Him until He returns. You don't need a special word from God about where you should serve the LRLR. LR. You don't need a particular word from God to decide 
what job you should do or where you should live or who you should marry even. You don't need a special word from God. He's given you the guidance, the wisdom, the insight you need, and He's given you God's people to to work that out together from His Word, and He expects you to move forward, trusting Him prayerfully in faith. But what about the Spirit? Hasn't, frankly, the big problem with everything I've been talking about this week is that we've hardly mentioned the Spirit of God. Doesn't the Spirit of God speak to us today? Well, the place to go to understand what the Spirit does today is not to whatever people claim the Spirit's doing in their lives. The place to go, if you really want to know the truth, as always, is go to the Scriptures as the Word of God to see what it is that the Spirit does today. And in particular, if we look at Jesus teaching about the Spirit, which is there on your page, it is clear that according to Jesus, what the Spirit does is shine light onto Jesus. That's what the Spirit does, shine a massive searchlight onto Jesus, what He has done, and His words. That's the Spirit's job. Have a look there on your passages, page 42, John 14, 25 to 26. Jesus said, I've said these things to you while I'm still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. We talked about that passage on Wednesday night. The Spirit gave the apostles the ability to recall the words of Jesus and the ability to rightly understand what Jesus was talking about in light of God's plans and purposes. Next passage there, John 15, verse 26, Jesus says, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who comes from the Father, what will He do? He will testify on my behalf. The Spirit's work is a deputized work. He testifies for Jesus. That is, He's like a witness who speaks up for the person who's at the center. The Spirit is interested in pointing you to Jesus. He's that searchlight that shines the light on Jesus so you understand who Jesus is in the plans and purposes of God. John 16, 12 to 15, Jesus said, I still have many other things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will speak, He will not speak on His own. He will speak whatever He hears, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, says Jesus, because He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine, For this reason I said, He will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit's job is to speak the words He hears from Jesus, which in turn are the things that Jesus, as the Son, has heard from the Father. The work of the Spirit is to glorify Jesus by helping you understand the truth that is in Him. So the Spirit, Jesus, and the Father are all tied up together. And if you dig a bit deeper, it's not a surprise really, because God is one. God is one as Father, Son, and Spirit. Yes, I'm going here. I'm going to the Trinity on Friday morning at Ancon. Why? Because that is who your God is. That is who the one true living God is. He's Father, Son, and Spirit. Three persons, but one God. One. You can never separate 
the Father from the Son, or the Son from the Spirit, or the Spirit from the Father. They are each distinct. The Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. But because they're one, they never act completely independently of the others. Because they're one. Whenever one acts, the others are also at work in their own distinct ways, but united together. I'll give you some examples. At creation, when God speaks the universe into existence, what do we read in Genesis 1? The breath, in Hebrew, the ruach, the ruach, which means breath or wind or spirit, the breath of God was hovering over the waters, we're told. Word and spirit, they're together at creation. In the Old Testament prophets' words, we saw that the Old Testament prophets, as they spoke and wrote the words from God, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, word and spirit together. Jesus, the very word who was God become flesh, was full of the spirit. The spirit was involved in his miraculous birth of the Virgin Mary. The Spirit came on him in bodily form when he was baptized by John the Baptist. Jesus' words were, according to him, words full of the Spirit and life. When he died, the book of Hebrews tells us that he was offering himself as a sacrifice to God, his Father, through the Spirit. And Romans 1 tells us that Jesus was raised from the dead in the power of the Spirit. See, Jesus is the Word, and the Spirit of God was present and active in every part. What about the apostles and their authoritative witness to Jesus? Well, we saw just a few moments ago in John's Gospel, Jesus promised the Spirit would help them bear witness, bear word to Him. We saw on Wednesday night that the Scriptures, the words of God, are God-breathed. They are the product of God working in the hearts and minds of the human authors of the Scripture so that their words become His words in the power of the Spirit. But you can keep going. In Acts chapter 4, we, as we saw in EU public meetings last semester, the Spirit empowers Christians to proclaim the Word about Jesus. The Spirit empowers gospel proclamation. And what's more, it's the work of the Spirit in the heart of a person that softens their heart, that opens their eyes, that turns them into good soil so that when they hear the Word of the gospel in Scripture, they hear it not just as human words, but as the very life-giving words of God. It's the Spirit that enables them to respond to the Word in faith and repentance. You see? Everywhere. The Spirit and the Word always work together. Always. Because God is one. You can't have one without the other. So there's not two ways to get to know God better. There's not like, the Word guys, you know, the Word guys are all on about the Bible, studying the Bible. That's one way, I guess, you get to know God better. But then there's the Spirit dudes. The Spirit dudes are a bit more free, hearing God speak different ways, attentive to the Spirit. and also, No, no, no. The Spirit and the Word always work together because God is one. There's no other way. When you hear the voice of God in His Word, that's because the Spirit is doing His work in you. And what the Spirit does, what He delights to do, is to point you to Jesus, who is the Word. He points you to the words of God. Which brings us then to the final bit, which is going to be super brief. 
evangelical spirituality. What is the key to a rich spiritual life as a Christian? Well, in part, it is to understand this inseparable connection between the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Paul ties them together in one line in Ephesians 6, verse 17. There on page 43, he says, Take the sword of the Spirit. Oh, that sounds awesome. Sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. What the Spirit does is wield His sword in your life. He cuts out sin. He strengthens you in your faith. He helps you to persevere when hard times come. He reminds you of the truth in Jesus when the world tells you all sorts of lies. What is the sword that the Spirit powerfully wields in your life? It's the Word of God. And in Ephesians 1, that Word of truth is identified as the gospel of our salvation. It's this message about Jesus here in the gospel, recorded in all its richness here in the Scriptures. So the way we grow as Christians is the same way that you began as a Christian. You continue as you began. How did you first become a Christian? You heard the Word of God in the words of the Gospel, in the words of the Scripture. And you, 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 you heard in them. These are not just human words. This is, this is the Word of God. I need to respond. And we respond in faith and repentance, which is the gracious work of God's Spirit in us. We're born again through the Word, by His Spirit, into and amongst His people. That's also how we continue to grow as Christians, through His Word, by His Spirit, amongst His people. It's a corporate growing project. We grow together into maturity in Christ, and that growth comes as we lovingly speak His Word to one another with all the different gifts and strengths that the Spirit provides. Well, into what are we growing? Where are we headed as people? Well, the answer there on your page, knowing where you're going, where are we growing to? We're growing to the likeness of Jesus. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And all of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord, as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. He brings together there Jesus, the Lord, and the Spirit, right? Because God is one. What does that look like to be transformed into the image of Jesus? It, the little shorthand thing I always use, it means being transformed in your character to be more like Him, your convictions to be more His convictions, your passions that you're a bit more passionate for the things He's passionate about, and your priorities so that you might prioritize things in life the way He does. That's what it means to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Character, convictions, passions, and priorities. But it's not just about your mind and how you think. It's actually about the mind transformation leads to a whole person transformation. It involves your whole self. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
Notice it's your whole body, your whole body that you present to God in worship, everything you do. And he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, so you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and uh, and perfect. So you take God's word, you're transformed by it in your mind, so you might understand things the way that they truly are with the insight God gives you from His Word, and then that transforms everything you do, all of your life. And finally, this is God's project, and He's at work, so you can be confident. You can be confident that you will arrive. Philippians 1 verse 6, Paul says, I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you and that, he's not talking about himself, he's talking about God. The one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. When God is at work, His Word is true, and He makes a promise, He will do it. He will bring you to the likeness of Jesus as you cling on to Him. And 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24 Paul prays this prayer. He says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, make you holy in every part of your being. May your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. He said he will. He's spoken. His word is true. So hearing the God who speaks, all week I've been asking questions, will you, will you, will you, will you? But this is not about us, is it? This is about Him. So let's finish in hearing the God who speaks. Be assured of this, friends, sisters and brothers in the Lord Jesus, the risen and reigning Lord Jesus. He will get you to the end. Amen. He will get you to the end because He is promised and He is faithful and true. He will finish the work He started amongst us. He will transform you into Jesus' likeness. Amen. Amen. Yes, when we see him, uh, the Apostle John writes, we will be like him. When we see him, we will be like him. He will transform you into Jesus' likeness. Amen. And finally, he will call you from the grave. He will call you from the grave with all those who have placed faith in Him and He will one day say to your physical body, come out and we will all rise to see His face and live and rejoice with Him in the renewed creation in perfect praise of our glorious God. 
How do we know this? How do we know he will do these things? Because he's true. God is true. My friends, he has spoken. He speaks. He will do it. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you are the great God of peace who has won peace for us in the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that in accordance with your promise, you might sanctify us entirely, that you would keep our spirit and soul and body sound and blameless till the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you. You are faithful. You have spoken. And in your grace and mercy and deep, deep love, you will do this. Accept our praise and our thanks with real lasting joy. In Jesus' name, in the power of his spirit. Amen.